Hi, everybody. I'm Steve Zubiago, the CEO and managing partner of Nixon Peabody. I'm connecting with people who are leading the way in their respective industries. As these leaders share their journey, we discuss how to apply their insights into our lives. Today, I'm glad to introduce to you Dr. Elise Worsell, who's an attending physician in the Division of Infectious Disease at Tufts Medical Center. She's also an assistant professor of medicine at Tufts University School of Medicine. She's board certified in internal medicine and infectious disease. She's a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine, where she completed her infectious disease fellowship. And she completed her infectious disease fellowship at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital and Tufts. And she also has a master's in clinical research from the School of Graduate Biomedical Sciences at Tufts University. Dr. Warsaw, you went to school for a long time. Yeah, little periods of employment in between, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of schooling, that's for sure. <laughs> so welcome and thank you uh, for, for joining us. So the COVID pandemic has put a spotlight on infectious disease doctors. It's made some famous and it has made a few uh, infamous. <laughs> we wanted to start by, by thanking you and your colleagues who have communicated important information to the public about the COVID disease, about disease in general, and certainly masking, social distancing, and vaccination. Uh, it's been a learning process for everybody in our country, uh, and you and your colleagues have, have really led the way. So let's talk about your background first. Uh, tell us how you decided to uh, pursue a career in medicine. Um, I think, you know, I originally thought I was going to be a vet, uh, honestly, um, and then I did some time interning at the veterinary office, and it turned out I had like very um, robust allergies to certain animals. Uh, so that in high school sent me towards medicine and I grew up outside of New Haven, Connecticut. So Yale was very close by um, and I was able to volunteer there and then um, do some jobs here and there. And, and that really started my passion for medicine. Um, so that's kind of what originally started me on the pathway. I could say when I got to undergraduate and I was, you know, very interested in medicine, I started off as a chemistry major and I was just miserable. Um, and then I switched to be a sociology major, which was wonderful, both because I enjoyed it more, but also because, um, there's this new appreciation for how, um, things like sociology, anthropology, psychology, the non-traditional um, majors um, really inform you and prepare you to be a doctor. Um, and so um, that really started my trajectory um, to, to, to medicine today. Excellent, excellent. And then, and then how did your, give us your thought process, how you ended up specializing in infectious disease, which of course you didn't know was going to be the hot area. Uh, as it is now? Yeah, you know, as an undergraduate, uh, I was always very interested in HIV. Um, it's, uh, I always had just, it was just something that always was very intriguing to me. And um, I, I just got very involved with HIV activism in college. Um, and then what I did is I did my senior honors thesis in college, interviewing um, women with HIV about what it meant to, to them to be a mom. And at that time, a lot of these women who are struggling with addiction, um, you know, off sometimes would give their children to another family to be to raise. Um, and, you know, I found these themes of like this selflessness 
um, that kind of how they were concerned about their own life and their own financial system and their own longevity. And sometimes the way to be the best mother was to have someone else raise their children so that they could be alive to raise their children or to interact with their children later on. Um, and it was just this beautiful intersection between illness and um, poverty and you know addiction and all these other things that happened. And that's what sort of cemented my path. Well, that, that's fascinating. So there's that connection between the science and the sociology. So tell me, do you remember the first time you heard the word COVID? And, and what was your reaction to it? I did. I, I rushed to daycare and I said, you need to keep taking care of my kids. <laughs> <laughs> now, did oh, no. you say that as a as a uh, infectious disease specialist or a mom with daycare needs? <laughs> well, no, I remember. I mean, I remember being on vacation in Florida and then hearing about you know what was going on in Wuhan and um, never, never did I expect it would get to the stage. We take infectious diseases have taken doctors have taken care of coronavirus for a really long time. It's a known virus been around for a while it causes the common cold and so you know I remember and I look back and I'm actually I can think of kind of ashamed being like you know please you know no one panic this is just a little cold and um and then you know I also remember being in the hospital I tested the first one of the first patients for COVID in the hospital um there was a period of time where you weren't allowed to test for it unless they had certain criteria and I remember being in that room and I got all gowned up and I was so worried and I was shaking doing the swab. And I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I putting my family at risk? Why am I, why am I doing this? Um, you know, I it thought back to the times that I was preparing for Ebola. I was actually breastfeeding when preparing for Ebola. And I was like, why would I do this? Why would I do, do this? I need a new job. I need, <laughs> I need some sort of, but um, yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely remember it. And um, boy, what a ride it's been actually. Since yeah. So, 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 so sounds like you probably completed that patient's test and, and went through it. So tell us about those initial days, you know, you're a well-credentialed infectious disease professional, you were treating patients, you were getting asked advice on public health issues. Uh, you were dealing with your, your, your own self and your, your two children and your husband and your family. So tell us your, your thought process that, that first couple of weeks. It, it sounds, so I, um, I would go in, I was not supposed to be on service because I am a researcher and I'm a jail doctor. I couldn't go into the jails, um, but I was advising the jails from afar. And so all of us, they created extra teams to care for COVID patients because there just was not enough people. They, they rearranged the hospital. And so I was, I was spending a lot of time in the hospital. I did extra weeks. And, you know, you'd go in and you'd get your list of 15 or 20 patients to see for the day who had new COVID. Um, and it was, it was a surreal experience, I have to say, because it was easy, easier to be at work than at home. Um, when you were at home, and at that time, I had a three and a five-year-old and, a you know, my husband's an ICU doctor. It felt incredibly, I felt caged. I felt incredibly unhelpful. I felt, um, you know, I saw my three and five-year-old crying that they wanted to go to the store. They wanted to do this. And, you know, the Amazon delivery man became like a big deal. When I was at work, I was constantly in motion. You were overwhelmed with endorphins. Um, there was intense sadness. You didn't know who was going to die and who was not going to die. That was the craziest thing. I think 
sometimes I feel like the way that it was portrayed, it was like, well, that older person, you know, with the heart disease was the one that was going to die. It didn't happen like that. You had 96 year olds walk away and you had 40 year olds die. Um, and that was the heart wrenching part. You can't, I, I wish that that was, I know it's good for us always to think about in public health and these are the risk factors for severe disease, right? But it's always a one or zero game. You got it. You're going to fall into two buckets, right? You're going to get, it's not, it's a, it's a little bit of a gamble. I would say Um, that was, that was super hard. So, you know, you go to work and then you come home and then you have to be, you know, a mom and a wife and you have to put back on that. Oh, you have to put on that other face. And so I found actually the shifting between harder than actually coming into work. Sure, that's that's such great insight. If I could just drill down a little more. So so in those first few months, say, uh, you know, April, May, June, how, how many hospitalized patients were there? How many were you treating? Well, like, I mean, how, I was on- was full? The hospital was full. I mean, the hospital was full. We stopped everything else. We turned floors that were not supposed to be ICUs into ICUs. Um, and we set up the, I mean, there were the teams taking care of them. And then as the infectious diseases doctor, I was going around and sort of seeing all of the COVID patients. And so every day you'd show up and you'd have your list of, you know, 10 or 15 people that you were supposed to see, but then you got another 10 or so on. And then it would be a shuffling and some people would be doing better and you didn't need to go see them. And then you'd see your new patients. I don't really have a number per se about that, but I would say, it was really kind of the middle of April, early May, or April that you know, we were all shut down and they didn't hit us until a little bit later. So we were all waiting around um, and then it all happened. Yeah. Um, uh, well, that, look, that's tremendous. And, and thank you for your service on that. So, so now what's different, what's different now, Dr. Woods? Can I ask, it, it seems to me the way I read the data that, that the vaccinations worked well. Uh, and we were able to control the spread and the impact of COVID. But the truth is, if more people had gotten vaccinated, it would have controlled. It would have controlled it further. Is, is that a statement you could I agree with? No, I don't know. I think that's actually was part of the mismanagement of this idea of herd immunity that I don't think actually looking back we were ever really able to attain mm-hmm. um, because you know we've never vaccinated for coronavirus before, and this has never been in pandemic states. So. I don't know. I, you know, it's interesting to think about that. It's, I don't think it would have changed much Honest. I mean, when you look at, there's so much, when you look at what angles, you know, oh, South Africa that this Omicron came from and, you know, but we didn't have enough vaccines in South Africa. And it was, there's a lot of, there's a lot of layered messaging there. I I don't know anymore. Um, I don't know. I mean, if we had pushed out vaccines more broadly earlier, we would have saved more lives, yes, but yes, we would have saved more lives. I mean, there's, we would have saved more lives and, but I mean, it's gonna keep on mutating and it's gonna keep around. We've tried as best as we can. I think one of the hardest parts of this epidemic was, you know, getting that vaccine, thinking for a second that you were okay and life was gonna be okay. And then when Delta hit, or, you know, that was the hardest. It was like, you stopped believing that you could ever have a life without hearing about COVID. That after, you know, everyone's vaccinated. Yeah, if people are getting vaccinated in Massachusetts, yeah, for it. That was the hardest thing. It was like this June to September, October switch. So, uh, so the famous Dr. Anthony Fauci recently said uh, that at some point we're all gonna have to live with some degree 
of a virus in the in the community. Do, do you agree with that? I do. I do. Um, and I I I am someone who. I'm someone who believes that there were, there have been a lot of hardships experienced because of, um, because of sort of stopping life, whether it be social emotional development or delaying, you know, access to chemotherapy or, you know, things like that. So I would love to find some sort of ground in the middle where everyone feels comfortable accessing care, people find happiness in their life, people um, have easy access to rapid testing and can isolate, you know, there's all these different elements. It's, it's a very touchy situation, even among friends, even among family members right now, like even now, um, to talk about, well, what are you doing with your family? Would you get on a plane? You know, these are these things. And in the end, you, you make a discussion with your family and you make what's best for you, whether it be wearing a mask on a plane or not wearing a mask on a plane. I, I do think it's here. Um, and I, I think at least for my mental health, I have to figure out a world to live with it safely. I uh, will uh, enter uh, summer uh, this month in June and people will be able to get outside. Uh, and hopefully the, uh, the incidence of COVID has, uh, you know, reached its peak and hopefully we'll start to decline. So, so as we enter these summer months, what, what should people keep in mind from a public health perspective? Um, well, I guess, I guess I'm thinking about what my family's keeping in mind. So like, you know, boosting, if you, boosting is a decent, you know, the third boost definitely is something everyone should entertain, you know, but not, you know, the fourth or the third vaccine, but the fourth, that's a question mark for you to think about. Um, you know, if you have a five and seven or five and above, then they can get their, their third vaccine as well. And trying to time that, um, I guess that's, I always think vaccine, vaccines are sort of the, the, the big, the, sort of the foundation of this all. Stocking up on rapid tests whenever you can have them. Just, I don't know if you like me in December, I was trying to get rapid tests. I couldn't get any. Now I have so many, they're coming home with the kids. I, I heard that's being cut off, unfortunately, from the school systems um, that they're not going to get the free rapid tests anymore. Um, and then, I mean, I think the other thing is that COVID's been a little sneaky lately in that you can have a lot of negative tests and then test positive like three or four or five days. So, I mean, I don't know if I'd visit grandma if I had a cold, even if I was COVID negative. I mean, it's a, it's a discussion. There's COVID and then there's this, you're, you have your vaccine immunity and then you have your COVID immunity. So every person can make sort of that decision risk. Thank you so much for this discussion. It's been so interesting. Um, we want to wrap up by going to our lightning round of questions to let our listeners get a chance to know you. So you ready for that? Absolutely. Okay. What was your first job? Um, babysitting. Babysitting. Pets or, or real people? I was real people babysitting. Um, and then I worked at a toy store um, and I was a terrible rapper, like gift rapper. I was very bad. And so um, I didn't get fired, but they they didn't let me wrap gifts much anymore. Yeah, I'm not good at the wrapping. <laughs> Uh, if you if you weren't uh, an infectious disease professional, what other profession would you like to try? Uh, speaking to that, I would love being a professional dog walker. I think that's just the ultimate job. I see these people with like 20 dogs, like off walking down the street. I mean, you get sun, you get to spend time with dogs. I, I mean, and pandemic dogs are all around. You can charge whatever you want to have your pandemic dog um, walked. Um, yeah, I would be you dog walker. For okay. sure. I, I might be able to hook you up with that. We could talk when we finish <laughs> this taping. 
Uh, what's your favorite meal? Um, my favorite, absolute favorite meal is probably macaroni and cheese. Um, I like the old school Stouffer's kind the best. I don't like fancy, um, and I love it with breadcrumbs on top. Nice, nice, great. Uh, what's the one thing you can't live without? Coffee. And it, that wasn't until recently, but I am heavily caffeinated at all times of the day. Um, and it's interesting to think of as a, someone who does addiction, you know, just thinking about the withdrawal that I experience and the way that I act uh, without it. Um, I am a super snobby coffee person. Okay. Get the Starbucks. Good for you. And uh, what's your favorite place on earth? Um, let's see. I think of, I love Vermont. I wish I could spend more time up there. I've gone a few times with friends and family and it's great beer, it's great cheese, it's great atmosphere, it's great people. And it just feels like, it feels like another world up in Vermont. I'm going there this weekend actually. Um, and so Vermont is just in my plate, my happy place. Great, well, good. I hope you have a great uh, time in Vermont. Thank you for your insights. Very interesting speaking with you. Uh, Dr. Warsaw, we appreciate your time. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, thanks. Thank you for listening to me Steve Zubiago on Nixon Peabody's Leading the Way. If you liked today's episode, please share it on social media and subscribe wherever you get your podcast.